Welcome to the Philacrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Tony Holler back to the Philosophy Podcast. Tony is the founder of Feed the Cats, is the head track coach at Plainfield North High School, co-founder of the track, the football track consortium, um, and former chemistry teacher, former basketball coach. Um, but honestly, everybody, this is one of the uh, people that have had the, has had the most impact on me and my coaching. I've already done a podcast with Tony, and I'm really excited to have him back for a second one. How are you doing, Tony? Very good. Glad to be back. Yeah, man. So um, there has been so much that's happened in the last couple of years since we did our podcast. Um, first of all, just for everybody, what what is Feed the Cats? And let's talk about the impact that that's having and the the sort of tidal wave um, that is amassing of, of people understanding what this philosophy is all about. Yeah, it has started small. Um, I was a, a, a nobody track coach. I call I call track an orphan sport because parents don't even pay attention to it. Um, it it's basically me and the kids, which isn't all bad. But I, I was in a, a a small town in a coal mining town in southern Illinois that was a lot like Appalachia. Uh, and there's no money. Uh, coal mining was the main industry. Um, it was literally I was there for 23 years, and I I basically uh, at the age of 40. Uh, abandoned everything that I ever knew about sports. I was a son of a basketball coach, a career basketball coach, high school and college. And I, I basically went on a mission at the age of 40 to make track unsuck, that that I was going to make track fun for kids. And so I sold out and said, we're, we're, we're not going to work hard anymore. Instead of, instead of running laps, we're, we're going to run sprints and we're going to jump and we're going to go home happy. And it worked really well because my goal was to get the cats of my school out, the athletes, the kids that could dunk, the kids that scored touchdowns in football. I wanted them on my on my track team. And so it really worked well because um, because all sports, uh, all coaches are successful when when athletes populate his team and maybe no sport more so than track and field, which is the ultimate matter of fact in Europe, they call it athletics. Uh, and so, so it worked really well, but what I found out was that it was not a bad way to train that we had, instead of focusing on working hard, we were actually had stumbled in a way, stumbled into a way to work smarter. We, um, we found out that the kids that were winning all the track meets for me, the elite kids actually improved maybe 1% or 2%, but the kids in the middle the average kids were improving five to 7%. And so I knew I was on to something, but no one wanted to listen to what I said, you know, or, you know, I, I had nobody to talk to. I was in the middle of nowhere, you know, to get published, you had to uh, find somebody that wanted to publish your stuff. So fast forward into the modern era, when you can write and publish your own stuff, you can produce video content, 
And so now it's uh, Feed the Cats is kind of everywhere. Um, it's, uh, you know, you can name any sport, whether it's the Yankees in baseball or the Eagles in, in, in the NFL, TCU and college football, hundreds of college football programs. Um, I've never held a lacrosse stick, but through you, I've had consultations with, gee, uh, over a dozen uh, Division One lacrosse programs. Uh, some of them now actually say that they feed the cats, or actually, I should correct that. Lacrosse feeds, no, Princeton feeds the Tigers. Johns Hopkins feeds the Jays. And I'm sure there's others that have co-opted that, and that's really cool. Uh, so anyway, Feed the Cats has really become a big thing. You know, it seems like I my Twitter site is gaining followers at an alarming rate, and I really don't know what uh, what's ha- going to happen next. But it's kind of exciting as a retired chemistry teacher to have stuff to look forward to. So what makes your model different and so effective from the traditional model? Everyone's got a speed guy and everybody is working on uh, conditioning. What makes what you do so different? That's a really good question. I, I think... Uh, what it is, is that it's, I, I say it's incredibly revolutionary, but it shouldn't be. If people have enough time, like you have, to spend hours with me, what what I have to say just makes too much sense to ignore it. And basically what Feed the Cats is, is that we are going to train extreme, especially with speed. And we are going to prioritize inline speed, uh, running straight ahead, max velocity. We are going to prioritize that above all other things because speed is the tide that lifts all boats. Now, to do that, there has to be some corollaries. Like one of the things, I actually have a shirt that that, uh, promotes it, and that is that we have to build that athletic work on a foundation of rest, recovery, and sleep. Now, just those things alone makes it revolutionary because, and you know, I, I go back, not only was my dad a coach, but two of my mom's brothers were Hall of Fame football coaches. So I grew up in the tradition of sports where, where nobody left practice unless they were totally fatigued, totally fatigued. Um, coaches still, to this day, celebrate a lack of sleep. That that somehow that shows that they are they're they're a grinder, and I preach I make fun of grinders. I mean I, I make literally make fun of them in my presentations that they're idiots, and that spits in the face of a hundred years of sports in America because sports were meant to make kids tough because life was tough, and what I say is that sports should be all about winning and high performance, that we should not be trying to turn boys into men. Uh, And and of course, nobody ever talks about turning girls into women, but, but people all the time talk about turning boys into men. And that is that tradition of sports in America. And the teams that have adopted my model are basically saying, we care more about winning than tradition. And we care more about performance than hard work, which once again, People should be leaning into that stuff. That makes sense. But but as you know, tradition is a tribe. We feel secure 
when we're doing things the way everybody else has always done it. And it's hard to have our long held beliefs questioned. So <laughs> feed the cats will never, I don't think it will ever be in the majority, but it really is catching fire throughout the sports world in the United States and in Europe. It's prioritizing speed and it's prioritizing performance by actually sprinting and being rested enough to sprint. Um, can you talk about why it is so important to actually just sprint in order to get faster? And, and the irony is that everybody tries to do everything other than sprint to get faster, but there's really only one way to get faster. Oh, it, it, it drives me crazy. You know, I, I, I talk to really smart people that are getting rich off of training athletes that say that speed is just another bucket, that there's like seven buckets, agility, strength, um, there's, there's capacity, there's endurance, there's sports skills, there's all these other buckets and speed is just one bucket. And matter of fact, the speed bucket, you can't change speed much because it's such a, has such a genetic component to it. And so they ignore it. And so I say that those people are trying to plant beans and grow corn. They, they, they refuse to train speed. And the reason why speed, vertical speed, not, <laughs> I got in a podcast the other day with a soccer uh, uh, coach and they asked me, they said, shouldn't soccer athletes be training speed with the soccer ball? And I just really appreciated that question. I said, hell no, because a 19 mile an hour sprinter will only be running about 14 miles an hour kicking the soccer ball. That does not change their nervous system. All movement, I'm saying all movement is controlled by the nervous system. Now, people who work, want to work, you know, want to, uh, who work in weight rooms want to tell me, no, no, you're wrong. Muscles control movement. Muscles move the skeleton. But without the central nervous system, muscles don't work. And if you want muscles to contract in a nanosecond, followed by a relaxation in a nanosecond, that is all neurological. And the most extreme thing that we can do neurologically with our body is the most extreme movement. What is that? That is sprinting with the wind, with track spikes on, on a hard surface like a track. That is the ultimate extreme thing that we can do with our central nervous system. And if we can do that two or three times a week, our CNS will improve. Our CNS will not age as we get older. Our, all movement will improve. And I have stories that blow people's minds about sports that you don't think would ever require sprinting, where the training of inline speed has made huge differences in that sport. Tell us those, tell me those stories, share those stories, please. Ooh, okay. Um, story number one, uh, six years ago, Boo Schexnader, maybe the greatest sprint coach, jumps coach to ever walk this planet. Uh, I know Boo well. I was listening to a podcast and he was talking about training a volleyball team. And his key training method was sprinting. Now that should just blow your mind because there is no sprinting in volleyball. There's movement, 
There's jumping, but there is zero sprinting. So why did he sprint those athletes? Because they move quicker and jump higher as they get faster. Those things, movement is controlled by the nervous system, the central nervous system. Story number two, uh, good friend, Brian Kula, he coached uh, 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 Christian McCaffrey as a high school track athlete, as a football player. He still coaches him today. He's his trainer. Uh, McCaffrey does nothing in the offseason more than five seconds. He's a sprint-based offseason training guy. He is my favorite running back in the NFL. Well, Brian Kula, who owns Kula Sports Performance, trained a female golfer that was elite. And he trained this golfer as a sprinter and improved her by a couple miles an hour. She was probably a blank canvas, probably had never sprinted. So those people can really improve. If you improve by one mile an hour, that's you're a different person. But if you improve by two, you've really become athletic. Well, you say, well, I don't think there's any sprinting in golf. So why aren't we more specific? It goes back to the CNS. When you swing a club, that is controlled by the CNS. Her golf swing improved by seven miles an hour. That's mind-blowing. But to me, it's like, of course it did. <laughs> Story number three, we have, he trained Highlands Ranch Aquatics, a Denver swim program. The swim program was trained just like Christian McCaffrey. They lifted weights, they sprinted, they timed, they all improved. Brian told me that he'd maybe never seen a, a worse bunch of sprinters when they started, but they all improved incredibly because once again, they're a blank canvas. Well, because they made improvements in speed, that translates to improvements in your CNS, they broke 48 records in that upcoming season in the water. And once again, you think, wait, you need to be, don't you need to be in the water to improve your swimming? No. The most important thing, the prioritization must be sprinting. Jeez, I could, let's go to hockey. Um, Devin McConnell is the SNC guy for the Arizona Coyotes. They feed the Yotes. Uh, Devin is a, 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 was once, I believe, an, off, uh, an intern of Michael Boyle, a mutual friend of ours. Yep. And uh, uh, to get his guys to become better athletes on the ice, they sprint and they time and they record, rank and publish. And to do that, they build it on a foundation of rest, recovery and sleep. So you can go through, you know, I can tell you basketball stories. I can tell you wrestling stories. I can tell you softball stories. I can tell you baseball stories. We talked about the Yankees feeding the cats last spring training. All of these things, I think, just really point to why sprinting in a straight line is maybe the most neglected skill and the most important skill at the same time. I always tell the people that I'm working with, the only way to get faster is to run your absolute fastest. That's for sure. You can't do it if you're not rested. That's for sure. And I will add, since this is a lacrosse podcast, and the reason I brought up all those other sports is because I think people can translate. They can translate. Okay, if I say that we should not speed train with a soccer ball in soccer. Well, we probably shouldn't speed train with a stick in lacrosse. 
Uh, it hurts lacrosse coaches' feelings, and I'm talking big-time lacrosse coaches. I'm talking Penn, Princeton, Georgetown, the people that you've connected me with. Um, when I say lacrosse does not create better athletes, I mean, th that that offends them. I, and, but then we have to say, okay, when I say, or if you say, throw it right back at them. When you say, man, that kid's athletic. Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? And they almost always say, they well, like strong and fast. I said, okay, let's put it a different way. What do you look for when you recruit somebody to come to Penn? We look for kids that are good lacrosse players, that are fast and explosive. I said, okay, so what are you doing to get them faster? And then they look at each other, and there is a dawn of realization that well, maybe the SNC they say weight room. They say we run sprints, but you know, those sprints that they run don't look like the sprints I'm talking about. Right. They, they are not doing a time sprint with a five minute rest in between those time sprints. That is not what they're doing. They're doing repeat sprints. They're, they're doing sprints up a ramp every 30 seconds or a 40 yard dash every minute, which is also known as gassers. That is things where they are trying to mix in skill work with sprinting. And, you know, there's a, there's a new saying that I say, say now I'm always looking for easy to digest, not wordy things that we need to stay general in the weight room because nothing in the right weight room specifically improves speed or a sport specific. So say general in the weight room, let's just get strong. Let's be extreme with speed training. That means we have to push the needle. We have to sprint fast with the goal of sprinting faster than we've ever sprinted in our life. And then we want to be specific in the sport, specific in skills, specific in capacity, and specific in endurance. Now, one of the things that kind of blows people's minds is that a Feed the Cats program dismisses conditioning that that really bugs people but basically i'm talking about traditional conditioning the sport itself if you're running practices correctly will condition a lacrosse team to play in a lacrosse game now if your practices suck they won't but if your practices suck you're gonna get beat anyway so so what i say is and the game said, the game Oh, self is the ultimate in developing the conditioning. So when you're actually, you know, the practice is one thing, but like there's nobody, no matter how much you condition in the preseason, oh. it feels like they're in game shape. They're, they're, ga they're, they're really gassed in the first run of the first quarter of the first game. And it's not until like game three or four that you're even feeling like you're in game shape anyway. Why is that? Oh, it, that's such a beautiful thing. Um, there, there was a coach, uh, at Florida state, he's been fired three times at three major universities. And, uh, in their first game in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, they had something like a dozen cramps late in the game. And he threw them under the bus afterwards. So the kids didn't listen. They were told to hydrate. They were told to, you know, to, uh, drink pickle juice and Gatorade and blah, 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 blah. And what I wanted to say to Willie was, Hey, Willie, wasn't it hot in Tallahassee for those four weeks that you practiced? Was, wasn't your practices 
like ridiculously hard with tons of conditioning? If so, how many cramps did you have then? I know the answer. It would have been hardly any. In the game, and this points to your to what you just said, in the game, the game is different. The game is the most specific thing that we do. And if you practice long and hard in miserable conditions, which so many football coaches do, but you are in third gear because, believe it or not, players are just trying to survive. If practices are real hard, they're in survival mode and not performance mode. And survival mode does not prepare you for performance in a game. So, so those guys that had just, they were worked so hard, melted when it came to the game because they tried to play in fifth gear. So what you said is so important. And I had this question from a famous lacrosse coach. He said, coach, I love all your performance-based stuff. I love your sprint stuff, but we have to be ready to play a 60-minute game, game one. And my flippant response was, which game is more important, game one or game 30? He said, well, of course, game 30. Well, in game one, you cannot be 100% in shape. You must accept the fact that you're going to be undertrained for game one. So you sub more. And you do enter game one. This is the great thing about Feed the Cats team. Faster which believe it or not, improves your capacity and your speed endurance. And your kids will be healthier. Not as many injuries because you haven't killed them. And thirdly, they will have probably loved the process of practice more than they've ever loved it in their life. I think those three things give you one hell of a chance to win against a team that is beaten up, semi-miserable, several kids hurt. And then if you sub some, hell, you may not even have to be good in the fourth quarter. You may beat the hell out of them in the first three. And even if you don't, I think there's magic in a game. I think you and I can both True. think back when we were gassed in the fourth quarter of a basketball game or a football game or whatever we played or the last 100 meters of a 400-meter dash. And still you fight, especially if you love it. You fight through it. And so instead of being in great shape, we want to create great athletes that are happy and healthy. And, and then, as you said, you let the season train the season instead of artificially trying to get ready too early. And there's just nobody that feels like they're in shape on game one anyway. And no matter how hard you do it. And so all you're doing is really making your athletes slower. You're, you're running the risk of getting them injured. And... You're not, you know, at the end of the day, you're not prioritizing performance. So it's it's amazing stuff. How about the Nebraska football coach when they lost, I think, to Northwestern? And he's like, yeah, but we we had like 25 guys puke or something. Did you remember that quote? They, they um, yes, Northwestern has been a punching boy or a punching bag for me for several years throughout the Scott Frost thing. And the thing that pisses me off so much about Northwestern football um, and the reason why I, I trolled their entire staff for the last seven years is, is the fact that Northwestern did it right about 40 years ago. They set the standard. They said, stop running laps. They said, they said, start with doing a couple minutes of work with a lot of recovery and then a couple minutes of work. 
and then build upon that as the you know as your capacity grows you can you have more capacity to do harder work but the rest and hydration in between high efforts in other words they were a performance based snc program as a matter of fact they were the first snc program in the entire nation in the late 60s and uh and and so for them to get it right and then to have um <laughs> two things one is I believe it was Scott Frost, their head coach, actually bragged about the number of kids that puked in game week leading up to their epic loss to Northwestern, who was one of the worst teams in the nation. But they lost badly to Northwestern in Ireland as like a 14-point favorite. The week leading up or the week before that week, he bragged about the dozen kids or seven kids or 25 kids or whatever who had thrown up in practice. And that is like anti-feed the cats with everything. And then another coach is another, I trolled them when they put out military stuff, when they made everybody get in a bus at midnight and go to a beach and, and have like uh, Marines lead them through, you know, like Marine training at midnight. And they did it basically for a recruiting video because High school boys are like so crazy. They're attracted to that type of like Spartan type abuse. Um, and I'm not, I'm a performance guy. I'm not a military guy. By the way, the military is becoming more and more performance-based. They no longer think that toughness wins wars as much as high performance, which is refreshing. And, and so <laughs> the third situation I troll him for was a, a defensive line coach said that his goal in practice was to get his defensive linemen as as tired as they could get in the first half of practice so that they would be so tired that they would have to rely on the fundamentals that they were taught in the second half of practice because they had no gas left in their tank. And I'm just shaking my head and thinking, you know, and, and some people would say, well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I'm like, screw that. Who's wanting to skin a cat? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We want to feed the cat. We don't want to skin the cat, you know, and, and basically they were skinning the cat and, and it's probably one of the most epic failures of a football staff that I've ever seen. Well, it comes back to prioritizing performance and prioritizing speed. You cannot get faster uh, unless you run your absolute fastest. You can't run your absolute fastest unless you are rested and recovered and having slept enough. And you can't know if you ran your absolute fastest unless you time it. And you can't get to your absolute fastest unless you cover a certain amount of ground, such as the last 10 yards of a 40 yard dash. Um, talk a little bit about why it really is hard for people to comprehend that absolute speed is what you should be focused on why you use the metric of miles per hour and in the whole agility piece um that people feel the need to train instead of absolute speed yeah and, and it goes back to, i think to the idea that uh speed is the tide that lifts all boats now that's that's a neat saying of mine but it really means that the central nervous system is in charge of all movement. So since agility is movement, as you get faster, your agility, when you work on agility in practice, that's a specific thing, will get better. If, if people want to argue, I say, who would you rather 
have who would you rather work with in agility a fast athlete or a slow athlete they go, well fast of course fast um it is important that we do not stay too specific or as specific at all when we're training outside of the sport because if you do you may think that you may truly think that lacrosse is an acceleration and agility sport and those people are a hundred percent correct and that's why lacrosse athletes are so slow is because they don't train speed um princeton uh when they started feeding feeding the tigers only had three guys that could run 20 miles an hour uh to give some context with that the guys if we put 40 guys on a bus in high school to go to a track meet there's not a single sprinter on that bus that runs 20 miles an hour they're all 21 22 23 so so even though these guys were terrific lacrosse athletes they'd never been trained with speed until mark ellis um uh, got them to do it and mark ellis is a is a rock star uh for everything he's done for princeton's program so you as you said you have to run a certain distance in order to get to top speed you have to run about 30 yards now you and i would not require 30 yards because our top speed uh maybe yours is still 23 but but no, mine's no. my top speed is more like 11 or 12 so I might be at 11 or 12 miles an hour in four or five steps. But for a good athlete, it takes them about 30 yards to get to top speed. So what we do is we run 30 yards into like a 10-yard measured sprint. So really, it's no different than a 40. And if you don't have a timing system, just time 40s. Timing 40s is fine. The only problem with timing 40s well, it saves you a lot of money because all you need is a stopwatch. But the only problem with timing 40s with a stopwatch is you never get a true measure of maximum velocity. And that's really what we're after. The maximum, maximum velocity is the key. So how fast can that person cover 10 yards? And to do that, you have to have some type of uh, laser timing. I use free lap. I've used free lap for eight years now. And Whatever that time is, all you have to do, I'm, I'm an old chemistry teacher, so I know conversions well, 20.45 divided by the 10-yard fly time equals miles per hour. And that miles per hour is, is really important. When we say a kid is athletic, fast and explosive, that is, to me, the number one metric is their maximum velocity. Now, going back, the NFL combine, the 40-yard dash indirectly measures maximum velocity because if your max V is really, really fast, that's the tide that lifts all boats. Guess what else is going to be fast? Your acceleration. If you improve your max V, guess what else will improve? Your acceleration. So even though football, like lacrosse, is an acceleration sport, how do you get better at acceleration? It's counterintuitive. You don't get better by running 10s or 20-yard dashes because you're never pushing the needle by working specifically on acceleration. So as you get faster, acceleration gets better, and then you get to do that miles per hour thing, and you can record, rank, and publish and make a big deal out of it like Princeton did 
where after uh, 10 weeks of speed training, they had 17 guys going 20. And Mark Ellis added like, yeah, and we also had three guys at 19.9. So, you know, if you round up, they had 20 guys at 20 miles an hour. And the anybody that's done this will tell you that there's a whole different feel to training. When you are lifting in a general way, never letting lifting interfere with sprinting because sprinting is your priority. As a matter of fact, you always sprint before you lift because sprinting will make you a better lifter, but lifter lifting before you sprint does not make you a better sprinter. So we say that sprinting potentiates weight room strength. And so when you start doing this, you notice a different atmosphere in practice where kids are happy, they're competitive, they're competitive against their self, their former self. They're also competitive against each other. When they hear somebody runs a PR time, it gives them a little juice and, 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 and they try to run a PR time or they try to beat that guy's time. And if you can imagine never straying from this, like TCU football uh, made a huge splash. Uh, they've done wonders for Feed the Cats in the last week. <laughs> when they came out and said they speed train in the football season, max speed, max velocity speed train three times a week. That's a huge splash. And then he went out and, and kicked Michigan's butt and looked faster than they were. They did. And, and so, you know, so now all of a sudden this sprint-based football, which is code for We Feed the Cats, um, is really going to become a big thing. There's no doubt about it. And with Princeton lacrosse, for the first time, and in, in, they've always had a lot of good players and they've been good, but they were all of a sudden – as athletic as anybody, they 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 were toe to toe athletic with Maryland, and many many people feel like is the best team of the last you know decade. And there, yeah, Mark Ellis said athletic. that it actually became a rally cry, you know, like when something good would happen or something, you know, somebody yell feed the cat or no, I'm sorry, feed the tigers, and and you know it, it was like it was like it, it's kind of like you know how uh, football teams hold up the four fingers going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, it's kind of like we've run 10,000 miles and of gassers and, and we we've been tortured for uh, an entire year. So the fourth quarter's ours. Mm -hmm. when, when you yell, feed the tigers, it's kind of like saying we have speed trained. We have performance trained. We are faster and stronger than our opponents. And we are going to outperform them because of that. So it's a revolutionary way to think that really changes just the way sports are done. So at Princeton, didn't you tell me that they that, that Mark had said they had averaged one mile per hour of improvement? Every athlete in their program got faster. How many people can Correct. say? Correct. Um, and and that seems to be especially with you know I mentioned with a swim team or a golfer uh, teams that have never sprint trained, and the average lacrosse athlete has never sprinted in his life. They have supposedly run sprints. They've done a lot of speed training. They, but that's not speed training. That is like getting tired type of running. I call that running. It's tempo running. And blech. anyway, yeah, they have condition and gassers and things like that, but they've never truly speed trained. So if you take a group that's never, it's like a, a virgin canvas. And you take a group like that and put them through 10 weeks of speed training, um, they may show incredible improvement. They had one kid... Uh, improve by 2.2 miles an hour. 
And, you know, the thing that I, I think caught your attention when we first met was in my presentation when I showed DK Metcalf chasing down Buda Baker. Buda Baker is fast as hell. He ran 21.3 miles an hour with 12 pounds of pads on a soft surface. And it was in the third quarter, so he's tired. DK Metcalf caught him from 10 yards behind. Well, DK Metcalf ran like 22.6 miles an hour. So he only ran like 1.3 miles an hour faster than Buda Baker. But he looked like superhuman. It was like a uh, like a superhero chasing down a villain or something. And so when when I tell a lacrosse team that that we could turn every Buda Baker on your team into DK Metcalf in ten weeks, I think they buy in. But it, 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 it's like, yeah, I mean, every, the the problem is is that nobody's ever rested enough to do it. Because again, it comes back to you can't get faster unless you run your absolute fastest. You can't run your absolute fastest if you're not rested and you don't time it. And because you don't know, I mean, you can run your absolute fastest theoretically without timing it, but you don't know. And so therefore, don't know. therefore it's, it's like lifting with no, no, not knowing how much is on the bar. Yes. And I, I think, I think there's something, you know, I say often that if you're not timing, you're not sprinting yep. because, because I don't. I don't know if you might be in semi-survival mode just because we grew up like that as athletes, that we're just we're just kind of going through the motions that, yeah, I want to look like I'm running fast, but I'm not sure if I really want to push it. And and I think that uh I, I think you you have to push it. And and that is uh that's something that just so different. You say that that nobody ever rests. You know, I, I've seen the John Wooden quote on coaches walls. And I, I see why, because I love the quote, never mistake activity for achievement. And it's a perfect quote because as we all know, as coaches, um, 80% of the stuff we do in practice is BS that we probably should throw it out. And we should always be looking for the 20 that really truly matters and expand that. But most coaches instead say, trust the process. And they just do it the same damn way that it was done to them and they're just they trust the process this is the way we do it here, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But what I look at is as teachers, we were always taught. I was 38 years in the classroom, proud of it. We were always taught you better keep them busy. If you don't keep them busy, you're going to have classroom management problems. But guess what happens when your goal is to keep kids busy? They're doing busy work. They're doing activity and not achieving, right? The same thing happens. The same disease bleeds into coaching because coaching is kind of like emotional, advanced, meaningful teaching. <laughs> I wish the classroom was more like that. But because of that, coaches never want to see anybody stand around. Right. But if that's your goal, then you're going to be doing activity instead of achievement. Totally. So that that's why if if you're giving incomplete rest, it's not sprinting. You're just running. And it's really hard, actually, for the speed trainers out there that actually want to feed the cats. It's hard to get people to pay them the, the dollar amount per hour that they actually uh, charge when they see them 
standing around for five minutes doing nothing. People are like, what are we doing here? Like, I, I don't even feel like I got a workout in. Like, you know, people are like, well, I, I, I want you to, I want you to beat the crap out of my kid. Let's, let's, get, let's, let's get it going and, and, and not actually, you know, get faster. But I want to go back to um, this agility thing, because I think what people mistake a lot is um, they're like, well, well I got to work on my defensive footwork. You know, this kid needs to work on his defensive footwork. And the fact is they probably do, but what they really need, this is where your point of don't get too specific, let the sport teach the sport. The issue with that defensive footwork is usually their understanding of cushion, shade, how to angles, you know, and how to, how to actually play defense without overplaying. Most of the people that are getting beat on defense are, are actually beating themselves with a bad approach. And, and if they were faster and they had and they understood how to play the game and how to cover somebody and how to anticipate and how to take away kind of what you want to take away, they, they would they could get it done and be slower, actually. But if they were faster, they'd be a lot better. And offensively, same thing. I mean, you know, um, the problem that most kids have with with their one on one dodging, for example, is they don't really know how to get a step or they get they, they run, you know, take a bad angle. They, they end up running into the next defender. It, it's It's the point is is that you can't separate the defensive footwork and offensive footwork from the context of play. So you let play develop the footwork and agility. Why would you separate out agility from the situations that they're actually in? Because you literally can't separate out the decision-making process, which by the way, slows people down too. And so therefore um, it's so simple, max speed and contextual practice and prioritize performance. I, I think as an old basketball coach, and you tell me, you know, like, like I'm, I'm probably the world's uh, leading lacrosse consultant who has never played lacrosse. <laughs> and <laughs> it's crazy to even say, but, but you tell me that it's a lot like basketball and basketball. Uh, I know basketball inside and out and, and your free play stuff is just, so much like feed the cats because it's revolutionary, but it shouldn't be. Right. <laughs> it, it is like it the is most, it is. when when you know the the greatest basketball players in the history of the world played pickup basketball a lot. Uh, AAU basketball, where they're playing full court and playing eight games on a weekend, has nearly ruined basketball for Americans. Um, the NBA has become a sport of foreigners uh, because because American kids play way too many games. And I think we can make a translation possibly to lacrosse kids playing too many games and not enough free play. But when you're talking about footwork and stuff, um, the faster you are, the more mistakes you can get away with. Like, like you, you can actually not take the right angle and still get there if you're really fast. But I think that, you know, what, what you're talking about with agility is that I, I heard a guy that was really smart talk about choreographed agility has no carryover. Right. When you set up cones and the human brain says, okay, I'll go to that cone, plant my right foot, and then go to this cone, plant my left foot, go to that cone, that's choreographed agility. And that is, I mean, you might as well be doing a dance like the tango or something. There, There is no there is no carryover but when you stop somebody in free play 
or you score some on somebody with free play, your brain remembers what you did. And that's also where I, I think you'd agree that free play does not mean a lack of coaching. Like you can suggest things. When I was in Delray Beach last week, the two things I really noticed, first of all, you did no conditioning, which allowed kids to play a ton of lacrosse at a very high level. No one ever looked tired, which that really made me happy. And the other thing was, even though your entire weekend in Delray was based on free play, there was a ton of coaching going on at the same time, like suggestions and, and throwing out ideas about how a kid can get better at what they just did. And I just thought that's the way you teach the game. Yeah. Let the game teach the game. And there's, yep. you know, there's different levels. I mean, free, pure free play might just be the kids out there playing and, and, and literally no suggestions. Um, and then, but, but the contextual learning has to do with the fact that you have opponents and teammates and decisions to make that are going to put you in a position where you can learn how to apply that athleticism to a situation. And, and that's really, you know, what, what we did down there was a combination of, of both. Um, and, and, and we brought you down to, to meet with, you know, all the athletes and families that I work with and, 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 um, I, uh, Sally didn't didn't do a speed workout with you because I didn't want to burn the guys, the kids out. You know, right. at the end of the day, we just couldn't do that and be fresh enough to to play lacrosse while we were down there. Yeah. And, and so so what you entered with was a very much a feed the cats mentality is that you wanted performance. Uh, you did not want fatigue. You know, the tired is the enemy is the name of my book. And and I, I think the other thing that I that I, I would mention about what I learned in Delray was, and many of the parents I met and talked to and shook hands with and, and got to know pretty well, talked about how wonderful it was that their kids were able to come to a, a to a location, a nice location and, and play with good players. I mean, the value of, being around greatness, I think we can never, I mean, all these parents that think that you get better by playing eight games on a weekend. Uh, if you're not around great players, I don't think you're getting better. I, I think you have to be exposed to people that do things well. And they were exposed to good coaches and other good athletes. And I think that was the comment I got from parents more than anything. Yeah. I, they said, I wish we could have this every weekend up in Boston or up in Rhode Island. You know, I wish we could have this all the time. Totally. I do think that there's something to um, having greatness because that lifts the tides of the game, but it's also having a mixed level of play is mm -hmm. actually um counterintuitive but incredibly effective uh i think you need to both sometimes be the worst in the group that you're in and also other times the best and that combination is is the magic that's a little different than you know uh what people would sort of perceive um so switching gears on this um on this conversation to how do we apply this now after I did the podcast with you a couple of years ago, I applied Feed the Cats 
to the girls across team that I was coaching. I was coaching my daughter. She was a senior. We were coming off a, a COVID year where we had played a ton of free play. And I we had developed a lot of really good players, um, although we we had no depth. We, we literally, in women's lacrosse, it's a 12-on-12 game. And, and we had 12 kids that we felt like we could play in, in games and really compete. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, the number one thing is we have to be healthy. But that's the number one thing for everybody. If you're not healthy, I mean, honestly, I mean, like you'd much rather just, if you have everybody out there, it's going to be your best chance no matter what you do. And I knew that we just didn't have, we didn't have, you know, like five people that could sub in. We actually had to play games with no subs. Um, And so the, the Colorado um, high school season had games on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so I said, okay, well, we're going to practice and have a performance. We're going to prioritize performance. We're going to prioritize speed. I'm going to do the, all the feed cast stuff. And we're going to obviously condition ourselves for the game by playing the games and through the practices that we're going to have, but we're going to make sure that we're not burning the stake, as you put it. So we had practices on Mondays, game on Tuesday, Wednesday off, game on Thursday, Friday off, performance practice Saturday, Sunday off. Tony, I was a coach when I coached boys high school that I felt like if you gave a, a weekend off that you were a soft coach. Uh, I was like, we can, you know, we can, we can not, I mean, I wasn't burning the stake. Uh, I didn't think because I, I would do, I would do things that I thought were important, like shoot or, you know, through various stick work or things like this. But what I found with this group was that by giving them the rest, it made for amazing 90 to hundred minute practices that we did on our, on our Mondays and Saturdays, we were, we were played our games and we, we conditioned, we did not do one sprint the whole time. We did not do, we, we didn't really do most of the drills that, that people do uh, in, in a lacrosse practice because we didn't have time because we were only practicing twice a week. So what we practiced was, you know, our half field offense, our, our half field defense. Um, we practiced our, uh, you know, draws and face off stuff um, primarily with a little bit of warm up um, of some of some ball handling. And, and that was about that was like what we did for that for that 90 minutes. And we let the games do this, uh, let the games get us in shape, let the games teach us the full field stuff. We let the games teach us our rides and clears and transition because we didn't have enough numbers anyways. Now, if I had a bigger team or a less, um, um, perhaps a less veteran team that hadn't done, I might've taken a day and done some low, low level free play. But let's talk a little bit about how people can apply this low level and high level practices to allow them to, and, and, and oh yeah, I forgot to mention, we time sprints during the course of that season on those performance days. We were rested enough to do it. Um, so we had the best season ever. We went to the, went to the, you know, the final four um, and we had a comeback win with no subs against a, a, a power in, in the, in the, in the, uh, in, you know, the team that had been to the, every championship game since the onset of girls across. So it was a great season, but let's talk about how we do this, um, how we actually apply it. Yeah, and, and everything you said, I probably get, I have a weird life, like 10 testimonials a week where people I don't know reach out to me and say, Coach, um, we went undefeated last year, won the state championship in football, blah, blah, blah. And it, I, I didn't think uh, what you I, – I liked what you said, but part of me didn't believe that it was possible to be, like, good in the fourth quarter or to let games be the hardest thing you do. That's one of the things I say, let games be the hardest thing you do. I, I 
but I'm here to tell you that, oh my God, we were the best team on the field in the fourth quarter doing no conditioning <laughs> every single game. And this is interesting too. You talked about a small team and intuitively, if you have a small team, that means you can't sub. So, so intuitively, that means you got to condition them a lot more. And I've gotten feedback from in Nebraska, they play a lot of eight man football, you know, because the schools are too small, some of them. And so they said, like all eight of my starters play both ways. So coach, don't I need double conditioning? I said, no, you need, you know, like zero conditioning because your guys have to be in total health and total freshness in order to survive that hard game. If you put them through the ringer and they're a step slow, they're not going to be any good. If you put them through the ringer and they are limping into the game, your team is screwed. And so it's counterintuitive that you condition less when you have uh, fewer so, parts to your team, fewer players. Where conditioning exactly. is going to factor, theoretically, have a bigger factor in impact on the game. Yep, yep. And so, hell, if you have a big team, I would say health and, and speed is still important. But you're talking about, I, I loved, it sounds like basically you did a four-day work, work week, right? Two practices and two games, three days off. And I'll tell you that the amazing thing was, is that I, I'm I'm naturally kind of a grinder, and I think that the, the reason we why all are, we all are, because we love what we're doing, and especially as coaches, we 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 just want to do more, and how can we get better? And and it was it was not easy for me to to do less. It's hard. We actually didn't we actually didn't shoot for the whole season. <laughs> Seriously, didn't do yeah, it once. Because I, 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 I was like, listen, the kids are going to shoot. They got to shoot on their own because we don't have time in practice to do that. There's no, there, there's no contextual value to all this shooting. Plus, I've done more shooting than any coach on the planet. I feel like, and, and and I don't even feel like it really made that big of a difference. But what I did notice that was a huge difference was at the end of the year, mentally, I hadn't grinded anybody out, which I normally had done. You know, I, I would, I would want to do a little more, and then I get irritated. Because they were probably, you know, whatever, made mistakes because maybe they were tired or maybe that they were trying so hard to do what I was asking them to do. It didn't seem like they were trying, whatever it was. You know, here, we didn't have time for that. And literally everybody was happy. Tell me about your mental health at the end of the season. So much stronger. Isn't that crazy? I'm not tired. I was not frustrated. I was not, I was so sad when it, when it, when it did end and we lost to a, a team that was better. But, you know, the, the our hard part for us is that we had a semifinal on a Saturday and a championship game on a Monday. We had to come back in the semifinal game. We, we had no legs by the time Monday rolled around. Um, so that made it, that made it really hard for us, but my mental health was better. The kids' mental health was better. And, and I think this too, and you, you talk a lot about this. Um, we as coaches all want to develop toughness. And we think that by making things physically grueling, that we will make people tougher. And, 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 um, you know, I've come to this belief that I, I don't think this is true. I think that your toughest people are going to be your toughest people. Generally, you can make the toughest people more tired if you want to, and they'll still be tough. I think you can also gain tougher players when they sometimes toughness and people that look soft are actually just lacking some confidence. And, and, and so oh. you can't really control that, but you can certainly knock it out. Um, but talk a little bit about your philosophies on this whole developing toughness piece versus 
developing um, a, a pure love of what you're doing and in, in, in of your of your culture. Yeah, two things come to mind. Uh, Cal Dietz, good friend of mine, he authored the book Triphasic Training. Um, he, he's a total rock star of the SNC world, and he's done a lot of work with Navy SEALs. And um, and he says it's a total fiction that Navy SEAL training creates toughness. It's total fiction. It does reveal the toughest kids and and the toughest kids stay and the ones that can't deal with that specific work they don't stay so it's really like a weeding out type of thing and i i truly believe i coach freshman football forever and 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 you know i i i don't think i ever made a freshman football player tougher during the season but i did make them faster and more confident and 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 I think those things, as you say, kind of leads to being uh, feeling tougher. And 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 so I just think it's really misguided for us to put kids through like a Spartan like work camp uh, because life is hard and we've got to get people ready for life or something. I think that I say this often. Um, we're willing to suffer for things we love. Right. And, and, you know, whether it's family, uh, work, whatever, uh, if, if a kid doesn't love what he's doing, when there's an obstacle, he will go around it or will cheat it. I think when a kid loves what he's doing, he'll go through the obstacle. And like people are really like amazed that now wait a minute your your kids that run the four hundred never run more than a two hundred in practice. I'm like right because speed is the key to the the four hundred. And they go well how do they complete the race? And I say well because they love track, and we make a big deal out of the four hundred being you know the ultimate warrior, and we're willing to suffer and. If you've ever run the 400 meters, that last 100, you're going to suffer no matter what shape you're in. If you think you can train to make the last part of that race easy, you're wrong. And if it feels easy, that's because you didn't run it fast enough. No matter how much work you do, the last 100 is still going to be really hard. And I think there's a, it's very similar to you know late in a lacrosse game. Nobody's fresh. Nobody's fresh in the fourth quarter of a football game. Nobody's fresh in the fourth quarter of a basketball game. But there's magic in the game, and there's true magic in loving what you do. And I, I think if you think back to the greatest athletes we've ever known, I mean, you can just fill in the blank. They love what they're doing. So if coaches uh, ignore the love of the game and the <laughs> – I think even most kids, miserable kids, kind of love games. The love of practice. If 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 coaches ignore the love of practice, they're leaving something really important um, on the table. Uh, and 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 so we should care. We should make we should make practice the best part of a kid's day. And it sounds like that's what you did. And the four day work week. My sprinters last uh, last year. We had nineteen weeks of the season. Only one seat, one week out of the 19 weeks did we not take three days. We we had three off days every week, which means that one school day every week, our kids 
got on the bus and went home. And because of that, they stayed fresher. They stayed, they stayed looking forward to the end of the season instead of wishing it away. I turned 64 this year and I feel younger now than I ever felt during my coaching career. And a lot of that is because I have focused on the Pareto principle where we are going to do the 20% that gives us 80% of the results. And we, we are going to expand the 20% and, and a practice without enthusiasm, without love is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable to me. I will not be that coach ever again. I used to be. Same. That was a taskmaster yep. that had to chew kids out, that had to get on them, that had to uh, like, like intimidate them. I mean, you, you know what coaches used to do? I mean, we were scared of coaches. And that's non-negotiable for me now. Um, we are going to have great practice and, and our kids are going to like it. And we are still amazingly going to get really good things done. One of the hardest things for the athletes that that we work with and for athletes, lacrosse athletes all over the country is that they they, they literally never have a break where they're oh. rested enough to actually be able to train. Uh, they have their spring season. So you, you really can't unless you're unless you're in a feed, feed the cats lacrosse program. You're not going to be rested enough very often to sprint in season. And then you go into the summer and the summer ends up being a bigger grind physically than, than the season with back to back to back to back to back, you know, eight to eight, eight weeks of tournaments and showcases. And then, you know, their fall preseason starts up and, and, and they might have the winter off, but you know, half the time there's snow everywhere. And how do you, what do you, what do you do? It's so hard. You, you know, kids want to, they want to get faster, but there's like literally almost no time. Yeah. And the parents, the parents really do want to do everything they kid to everything they can do to ensure their kids success. And that's, that's a love thing. And so they sign them up for everything. You know, we, we call it, you know, like trainer hopping where they go to this trainer, then that trainer, then this trainer, then that trainer. And that's why I feel much more comfortable uh, coaching coaches then I do training athletes sounds weird because I'm still a coach, but, um, but I am not going to be one of those trainers that, that parents send their kids to, and then they send them to somebody else, then somebody else, then somebody else, then back to me. Um, but it is a real problem. Uh, the most kids in the cross seem to go to really academic schools. They have a, just a ton of homework. Um, they're tired. They're beat up. And I say often that I think the best barometer of health is how fast you can run. It sounds weird, but if you're a 20 mile an hour guy and you're running 17 on a Monday, there needs to be discussion. And if your entire team is 15% slower, I know where the discussion needs to happen. That's with the coaches, unless there is a, crazy frat party or something on Saturday night. Uh, but regardless, there's something wrong with that kid's health if he is remarkably slow. And you, like we said before, we never know that unless we time sprints. And people say, well, gee, you know, we have a, I mean, both of us know that when we talk about timing sprints, 
we're talking about something that can be done in 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, it's basically doing a few things before you sprint that we call speed drills and then timing them a couple of times. It's just a dose. Um, I was going to tell you about the Philadelphia Eagles. They, they have GPS like all the teams have now. Yeah. And so if a wide receiver, let's say, hits 20 or 21 miles an hour three or four times in a practice, he's got his dose. But if a backup wide receiver hits a maximum speed of 14 miles an hour, he needs a speed dose. So they will do like our atomic speed workout, which is not like running t- 10 miles or something. No, it's 15 minutes and 60 seconds of work. 60 seconds of work in a 15-minute period. So they will get a microdose of speed for that guy who did not get it. Because if they don't address speed two or three times a week, their team will get slower. And if they don't address speed two or three times a week, they those guys will get injured sometime in a game when they are hitting speeds that they're not accustomed to. So all those things play in. Yeah, amazing. The the concept of minimum effective dose. You mentioned microdose, atomic, the the book, your one of your favorite books, Atomic Habits. Is that what it is? Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh there, there's about eight books I have that I would love to start a uh, high school English curriculum where we read one of them every semester and talked about it. But James Clear's Atomic Habits um ch- literally changes lives. And the whole thing is you got you got to get rid of bad habits, start good ones. But the important thing about starting a good habit is start small. That, that's where atomic comes in. And I, I use myself a year ago. I, I said, I'm going to do 10 push-ups every day. That's not very many. Uh, but on the first day I did it, I was like, I'm glad I didn't say 20. Yeah. Be- because literally I would have had to do a couple sets to get to 20. That's sad, but I'm I'm old. Well, the other thing is James Clear says always attach it to something you do every day. Well, I eat every day. So I'm going to do 10 push-ups before I eat every day. Well, this morning I did 60 push-ups. 360 or 371 days later, I am up to 60 push-ups. And I do them every day. I did 8,500 push-ups last year. This year, I'll do probably 12,000 push-ups. That's what an atomic workout is. You start small, but small habits become powerful habits. And I swear, <laughs> it sounds funny, but push-ups alone, I think, has made me younger at the age of 63 than I was at 62. And the same thing can happen if we do an atomic speed workout. The atomic speed workout is not the best speed workout in the world. No way. No way. It's not That's enough to be the best, but it's enough yep. to make you faster and get you going. Get, get you faster and develop a habit and speed grows like a tree. So we cannot do it twice this week and then say, okay, we're fast. <laughs> that doesn't happen. It, it, it is kind of like a lifelong commitment, kind of like my doing 10 push-ups a day is like a lifelong commitment for me now. And once you have that habit, if you don't do your push-ups one day or don't do your speed workout three times a week or two times a week, you will miss it. You will crave it like a smoker craves his next Marlboro. I mean, it is, it's a habit and we are creatures of habit. 
The um, for those of you that are interested, uh, you can find the the Atomic Speed Workout on YouTube. It's right there, um, free. Check it out. Um, the last thing I want to sort of talk about, and I know it's a, it's a huge topic. We should we could spend the whole podcast on it. But and you referenced this earlier, where coaches love the idea of of depriving sleep, making them tough, getting them up early. Um, why? I remember asking Mike Boyle a question, which was, um, or he made a statement, I would prioritize timing sprints over lifting. And I, I mentioned that to you and you said, well, I would prioritize sleep over sprinting. Talk a little bit about your opinion on sleep and why it is so important um, as, as it relates to feed the cats and performance. It's the lowest hanging fruit for any athlete. Um, in other words, it's right there for the taking. It costs nothing. Uh, you don't need a prescription. Um, it is available to all of us. But yet, I believe getting what my track team calls championship sleep, which is eight to nine hours, might be the hardest thing a high school or college athlete ever does. Um, to a, a college athlete, it's almost like um, they're they're going to um, – I, I, you know, I was going to say be celibate or something, uh, but it basically they think that their social life will be gone if, if they start to prioritize sleep, but if they don't prioritize sleep, I think they will be 10 to 20% reduced as an athlete. Um, and I think, I think you're probably reduced as a student as well, and maybe even not have as good of a personality as you should have. Um, and I'm 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 preaching here um, with without a good track record as a sleeper. Um, I when I was in my athletic days, my favorite hours of the day were you know maybe ten to one at night. You know that was that was when music sounded best. That's when things happened. Um, that's when young people came alive and old people went to sleep. So I understand exactly the, the problem with it, but it makes me hurt to see athletes training hard. And then it's kind of like having a, you know, like a, a leak in your boat where your, your boat's still sinking, even though you're really, you're paddling hard, you know? And, and so, yeah, there's no question there. There's not a single sports science sports performance person out there that disagrees with this now one of the things coaches can do is to stop getting kids up at 5 30 in the morning because some book they read said that people who get up early are successful um you know i i i know some coaches get people up really early to try to keep their athletes from drinking the night before and if that was me i probably would have drank more uh, thinking about how awful it's going to be waking up in the morning and showing up hungover. So, so I just think coaches are misguided. I tell feed the cats football coaches. One of the things that high school feed the cats football coaches do is they give weekends off Saturday, Sunday. No, they don't bring him in at seven in the morning and run them. They don't bring him in on Sunday and lift them. I mean, they let kids enjoy college football on Saturday, enjoy NFL football on Sunday. Um, Feed the Cats coaches do not have in-person coaches meetings. Instead, they do work on their own, and then they 
connect through things like Zoom and Google and things. Um, and because of that, they stay younger, healthier. They look forward to the next week. Um, I mean, every football player I talk to that's on my track team, I'll ask, were you glad the season was over? We were 10 and one this year and we lost in the second round of the playoffs. And every kid said, coach, I was really glad the season was over. It was a long season. I'm like, oh my God, you're 10 and one and you were hoping the season was over. But that's just the way football has always been done. Football wasn't meant to be easy, boys. It was meant to be hard and life is hard and all that kind of stuff. I would rather have kids performing and I'd rather have kids crying after that last game not because they lost, but because they're sad that they don't they don't get to practice on Monday. Uh, that's the kind of team I want to coach. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this uh, last concept um, with our listeners, which is I think sometimes people listen to you say we don't work hard, and they're like, well, listen, I just don't I'm not buying that. But but that's 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 really you just talking about we're not going to work hard in in the traditional um, you know beat people up and grind it out. Because it is hard work to prioritize performance. It's hard work to actually prioritize eight or nine hours of sleep. It's it's hard work to sprint and, and be rested enough to sprint um, two or three times a week in an atomic workout. Um, it's hard work to be consistent. You you do want to be in the weight room a couple times a, a, a week, year round. Um, you know, it, it becomes these having great habits is actually what you're talking about. And it's the habits of prioritizing performance and doing the smartest things. So everybody that's sort of shaking their head on this podcast, do your homework. Do your homework and see scientifically what sleep actually does to testosterone levels or what a lack of it does. Even the Andrew Huberman podcast, he just oh. commented the other day that literally if you go to sleep more than an hour after you normally go to sleep, you gain nothing from your sleep. You can't go to, you're normally going to bed at 10 and you go to bed at 1230. You just lost that sleep, regardless of how much sleep you actually acquire in, you know, you can't sleep in and make up for it. So it, it, it's real stuff. Um, and so when you sort of add it all together with how we're going to train with a constraints led approach and use utilizing free play differential learning um it, it, it there's science behind all of this stuff so that's what i wanted to sort of let you sort of uh talk about for the last uh, couple of minutes of this podcast yeah it was actually you uh total credit to jamie monroe on this that that said man you gotta stop saying that that hard work is is bad stop saying that you know say that you're redefining hard work. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. That that would be so much better because it is hard. It is hard. And I, I think that, you know, both me and you come from a background of being a grinder. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I even say in my present crazy life where I'm traveling around the country and doing clinics and things that I'm a workhorse that, that talks about training racehorses and, and I, I know you get up early in the morning and work hard and stuff and sleep is still hard for me. I got to bed last night at 10, which was the best I've done in like the last seven days. You know, I had a tough holidays with the family here and everything. We stay up way too late. Um, but you know, in sleep, it's the only time we grow and recover. Literally. 
the only time. And if we don't have that hormone release when we're unconscious, and it's not just it's not just testosterone. There's we are flooded with all these wonderful natural chemicals when we sleep, and we have to sleep enough to gain that stuff. I even tell kids sometimes that say, Coach, my shins are still bothering me. That hardly ever happens because we don't work hard enough or long enough, I should say, to develop sore shins. But the thing that I will always come back and say, say, I, I, I don't think you're sleeping enough. And the kid will say, like, have you been talking to my mom? <laughs> go, no, no, I just know you're not sleeping enough because because we heal when we sleep. We We don't heal and we don't grow if we are sleep deprived. And um, it's just sad to see people that, that they would spend a hundred dollars on, on a pill that made them a better athlete, but they won't go to sleep one hour earlier. And that's just the world we're living in. That's why me guys like me and you are always trying to coach kids. And for all those people out there, this is your opportunity because most people are not going to do it. No, <laughs> that's the no, of it. Most people won't do it. They can't do it. They won't do it. Um, their strength and conditioning coach don't believe in it. They're just too 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 stuck in what they do, or or the kids and sadly are just too busy. So you have a great opportunity to get a lot faster and to perform at a much higher rate. Um, Tony, always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, I love uh, everything you stand for, and I've learned a tremendous amount from you, and I really appreciate it. Well, I've I've really enjoyed my two years in the in the lacrosse world. Um, it, it's been the most bizarre two years of my life, but it'll make a nice chapter in my book. <laughs> totally. <laughs> hey, if people want to reach out to you, how do they do that? Um, I, I'm mainly on Twitter at pntrack pntrack.com or at pntrack. I'm sorry, um, but my my son Troy has me on TikTok now and has me on Insta. And I have a huge YouTube presence now, all be, because I have a son that's a digital content guy now. And um, or you can email me at tony.holler at yahoo.com. Awesome. Tony, let's have a great 2023. For sure. I'm right, ready. Man, talk to you soon. All right, bye.